This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Something to note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any single myth about the Kalupalik. Today's episode combines a couple different variations of Kalupalik lore, as well as specifics gathered through further research into the Inuit people. These stories and details are woven together for dramatic effect to demonstrate the unsettling nature of this malignant creature. This is Vanessa Richardson, and you're listening to Mythical Monsters, a ParCast original. Every week, we explore some of the most hair-raising monsters from history. By diving into the origins of these creatures, we hope to expose what their horrors represented in the past, and what kind of fears they prey upon today. Last week, we heard about the mischievous Irish shapeshifter, the puka, sometimes a boogeyman, sometimes a horse, and other times simply a man. The puka's only consistencies are its red or gold eyes and desire to wreak havoc upon any human that offends it. If you missed the episode on the puka, go back to give it a listen. Today, we're discussing the horrific mermaid-esque creature, the Kalupalik. This Inuit creation lurks in the icy cold waters of the Arctic, waiting to pounce on any child that might be foolish enough to venture out alone. Therefore, children are warned from a very early age to stay close to home, lest the Kalupalik whisk them away. The Inuit are the indigenous dwellers of the punishing Arctic coast. They inhabit a bleak landscape, fraught with perilous weather, a vast and unpredictable ocean, and lethal animals. The children of the Inuit are cautioned to stay close to home to avoid these dangers. But when the adult Inuit's warnings of hungry polar bears or fierce blizzards are not enough to keep children safe in their igloos, they speak of something far more monstrous. They tell them of the Kalupalik. The Kalupalik is a water spirit said to abduct children that wander from home. Legends warn that this monstrosity hungrily consumes any child she meets, while some tales suggest the Kalupalik seeks to take a child to raise as her own. Still others claim the Kalupalik steals children to feed off of their youthful energy like a vampire, slowly draining them of their life force so that she can live forever. The Kalupalik has been linked to the mermaid because of her aquatic domain and tendency to lure children toward her with a melodious humming. 
But unlike the legendary beauty of the mermaid, the Kalupalik's physicality is terrifying. She has the figure of a woman, but with long, dark hair, green, scaly skin, and claw-like fingernails. Her musk is said to smell like sulfur. But perhaps most chillingly, the Kalupalik wears an amautik, a fur pouch commonly used by Inuit women to carry children. In many ways, stories about the Kalupalik feel familiar. Most variations of the legend typically speak of a disobedient child who strays from home or otherwise misbehaves. This child either meets its demise through error or else outwits the monstrous Kalupalik and returns to its village, never to misbehave again. These tropes are seen across various cultures in myths involving children, such as in Hansel and Gretel or Little Red Riding Hood. America's grotesque boogeyman is similarly used to terrify children into behaving themselves. But the Kalupalik story is more blunt than any of these. The themes less subtle. The message is clear, do not venture out alone or you will suffer the consequences. A harsh wind blew snow across the bleak Alaskan landscape. The sun set over icy mountains that surrounded a flat, white basin with a sparkling ocean beyond. On the basin floor sat a cluster of igloos, tent-sized domed structures made of ice. A group of children suddenly burst out of one of the igloos. Leading them was a small, spirited young girl named Arnok. She was bundled in fur, but she ran faster than the rest of them. Her boots pounded the snow as she ran farther and farther away from her friends. Their laughter soon grew faint, and Arnok smiled in victory. She had won the race, how she loved to win. As she approached a small hill at the edge of the basin, she was stopped by a voice. Arnok turned to see her father standing before an igloo in the distance. He gave her a severe look and called out to her, Arnok, that is too far. Arnok sighed. Her father was always telling her not to stray from home, and yet he left each morning on hunting expeditions, traveling far across the Alaskan tundra. He got to see so much, and she so little. He claimed the world outside was dangerous, but his warnings always made Arnok roll her eyes. He particularly liked to tell her the tale of the Kalupalik, who would prey on young children who wandered off alone. Arnok found herself sighing aloud. Her father refused to believe that she was growing up, and as she stared at him, waving her home, she was suddenly seized with rebellion. No, she did not want to go home, and he could not make her. Arnok turned and ran over a hill as fast as she could. A small smile grew as she made her way into the tundra beyond. Arnok walked for hours, admiring the bleak, white beauty of the world around her. She reached the ocean and was in awe of its expansive majesty. But as the sun set and the cold began to seep into her furs, she realized that she was ready to turn back. Surely her father would be worried. Just as she was about to head back, the sound of footsteps stopped her. 
A chill ran down her spine that had nothing to do with the icy air, but as she looked around her, she saw nothing. It must have been the wind. Arnok then heard a low humming, causing the hair on her arms to stand up. Arnok startled as a figure passed behind her, but she only saw the ends of its long, tangled hair before it disappeared behind a snowdrift. Arnok's body told her to run, but her curiosity was far stronger. She took a step toward the drift, then another. The drift loomed in front of her as she suddenly lunged to its side to see behind. There was nothing there. Arnok relaxed slightly. She was suddenly aware that her heart was beating very, very fast. She thought to herself, time to go home. But as she turned to leave, a soft sound stopped her. Something was tapping on the ice beneath her feet. With a trembling hand, Arnok used her glove to brush away the snow by her boots, revealing a thick sheet of ice. She squinted, trying to see through the haziness when a pair of wide, hollow eyes appeared below the ice, staring intently at Arnok with a faint golden glow. Stringy black hair swirled around a green, scaly face, but the worst part was the long, bony fingernails that reached up to tap on the ice. Arnok stared at this creature in horror, realizing with dread that her father had not been lying after all, for she was certain that this was a Kalupalik. And if that was true, then this eerie creature beneath the ice was likely hoping Arnok would be its next meal. Coming up, Arnok runs for her life. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. A young Inuit girl named Arnok ran away from home after her father forbade her from venturing away from their igloo. Arnok had simply wanted to show him that he was wrong about the dangers of the tundra. But after coming upon a terrifying creature called the Kalupalik, Arnok was beginning to think that her father might have been right. The Inuit are said to be descended from the earliest settlers of North America, with Paleo-Eskimos crossing the Bering Strait from Siberia as early as 3000 BCE. They were followed by the ancient whalers known as the Thule, who are largely said to be the ancestral group of most of the Alaskan coast and Greenland's Inuit. Today, the Inuit make their homes in other notoriously cold places like Arctic Canada, Greenland, and Siberia. 
The mythology and culture of these polar regions therefore have strong similarities to one another because of their shared ancestry. So while the Kalupalik has been tied to the mermaid, it can also be linked to its Siberian cousin, the famous Russian witch Baba Yaga. Baba Yaga is a supernatural trickster who rides about in a wooden mortar, feasting on children who wander into the forest. To the Inuit of the Alaskan coast, the ocean poses great danger, and the Kalupalik was created to prevent children from going near it. But to the vast winterscape of Siberia, the dense forest is their greatest threat. It's vast, cold, and full of animals that could prey upon their little ones. Therefore, the tale of Baba Yaga is used to sway children from entering the forest alone. But the similarities do not end there. Baba Yaga's domain is the forest, giving her ties to the natural world. She's seen as a type of mother nature figure, while also a denizen of death. Like Baba Yaga, the Kalubalik is closely associated with the natural order of the sea, yet is inherently a creature of evil. Both creatures were created for cultures living in inhospitable landscapes. In order to survive, their children had to learn that walking off on your own was the same as walking to your death. Arnok was frozen in fear. She stared down at the grotesque face of the Kalupalik beneath the ice. The creature's decrepit fingernail continued to tap away. Her eyes were full of hunger. Arnok finally came to her senses and took a step back. Her boots slipped and she fell to the ground with a thud. She scrambled to her feet, but when she looked back at the snow-cleared ice, the Kalupalik was gone. Arnok wasted no time. She was not about to become dinner to this sickening monster. She began to run. Her small legs did not carry her very fast, and she'd not gone far when she was suddenly thrown from her feet. The ice had ruptured beneath her. Arnok hit the ground and looked behind her to see a hole opening up in the snow, leading to the water below. And from the water, the tip of the Kalupalik's head arose, slowly revealing its hollow, golden eyes, then her horribly bloated, greenish face. Her black hair hung damp and limp, and she gave off a harsh odor, like rotten fish. It was as if a drowned corpse had come to life and was very, very hungry. A hand grasped the snow at the edge of the hole, and the Kalupalik slowly pulled herself out of the water and rose up to full height. Her golden eyes remained fixated on the frozen Arnok. Arnok's terrified gaze took in the creature's long fur robe and settled on the Amautique around its neck. Her heart beat faster as she realized this fur pocket was likely made for children like her. As Arnok took in this nightmare, the Kalupalik slowly opened her mouth to reveal a gaping black hole surrounded by pearly white and very sharp fangs. The Kalubalik let out a shrill cry and lunged toward Arnok. But Arnok was quick. She rolled out of the way with a scream of her own and stumbled to her feet. 
Arnok ran along the water's edge, jumping over rocks and blocks of ice. She outran all the children in the village, and she was certain she could outrun this creature. She refused to look back, knowing that it would slow her down. But soon, her curiosity grew too great, and she looked over her shoulder. The Kalupalik was gone. Arnok stopped running to catch her breath. She'd done it. She had braved the elements, fought a monster, and had come out victorious. She couldn't wait to tell her father how impressive she had been. She slowly walked through the snow, her racing pulse gradually calmed. Arnok stopped walking at the sound of snow moving nearby. She glanced behind her but saw nothing. But then she heard a sound that made her blood turn colder than the frigid snow. That familiar raspy humming filled the air. Tearfully, she looked around her in panic. She could see no sign of the beast, but still the humming grew louder. Arnok trembled as she quietly pleaded, Please, go away, go away. I'm sorry I ran away. I'm sorry. And then all was quiet. Arnok tentatively glanced around, suspicious of the calm. After a few moments had passed, she slowly relaxed. Suddenly, the ice in front of her exploded as the Kalupalik burst out from the water below. She shot a gnarled hand toward Arnok, shoving sharp nails through the young girl's palm. Arnok screamed in pain as the Kalupalik pulled her close. And then, in one quick movement, she threw Arnok over her head and into the Amautique on her back. Arnok's screams were cut off as the flap closed over her head. The Kalupalik waited just a moment, as if she was taking a brief respite, and then slowly slunk back into the hole in the ice. The water rippled as her grotesque face disappeared beneath the surface. Not far away, Arnok's father was leading a small party of hunters through the snow. They called out for Arnok, scanning the icy landscape for any sign of her. Arnok's father knelt down and eyed a track in the snow. It was a small boot. He gestured to the others as they began to follow Arnok's footprints toward the icy drift where she had encountered the Kalupalik. But she was nowhere to be seen. Arnok's father looked around, eyeing the cracked ice and the disturbed snow. He slowly sniffed the air, his face growing alarmed as he caught a whiff of the pungent, rotting fish smell. He knew what that smell meant. It was the Kalupalik. And if the Kalupalik truly had his daughter, then he was perhaps too late. His hands trembled as he gripped his hunting spear. He cursed himself under his breath. He had warned Arnok, but she had not heeded him. He wondered what else he could have done to keep her out of harm's way. He turned to his comrades. When he spoke, he struggled to keep his voice steady. Men, do you smell that? It is the beast that has my daughter, the monstrous of the ice. 
Follow me if you wish, but know that I am not stopping until I get my daughter back, or until this aberration feels the tip of my spear. Arnok's father strode ahead, following the smell. The men looked at one another, and one by one, they followed. As Arnok's father followed the scent, his steps quickened with urgency. He soon yelled back, Hurry, we move too slow. Soon the group of men were running full bore. Arnok's father led them, his nose raised high in the air to let the lingering, rancid odor of the Kalupalik guide him. The wind stung his eyes, and tears blossomed as he continued to call out, more for himself than the others, Hurry, move! Suddenly he stopped. The smell had gone. Cursing, he paced around, sniffing the air, but he could no longer pick up the scent. He drove his spear into the snow in frustration. The frozen water ruptured and the hunting party jumped to the side in fright. Arnok's father fell to his side and looked up in confusion. The ice should not have been so thin. He hurried to clear away the snow and gasped. A few yards from the place his spear hit was another thin spot of ice. He walked past that and cleared the snow away to reveal more thin spots. These were not just warm pockets. They were places the Kalupalik could burst from her watery depths to grab her victims. He cried to his men, find the thin spots and we find the creature. As Arnok's father cleared away the snow on the ice, his determination grew. He would either save his little girl or he would rip this monster limb from limb. Coming up, the Kalupalik devours Arnok's youth. Now, back to the story. Arnok ran away from her tribe to teach her overprotective father a lesson, but she had encountered the terrifying Kalupalik, a mermaid-like monster who shoved the scared young girl into a satchel on her back. Unbeknownst to the Kalupalik, Arnok's father was hunting down the beast that had taken his daughter, and he would not stop until she was found. While Arnok's father was hurrying to rescue his daughter, the Kalupalik swam through the frigid blue water. Her webbed fingers and toes propelled her, but her movements were weighed down by lethargy, for it had been years since she had last fed. Her skin had turned scaly, her hair limp. Each year she felt weaker than the last. She was aging. The Kalupalik listened as the young girl screamed from her imprisonment in the Amautique pouch. Never before had a child struggled for this long. The Kalupalik was impressed with Arnok's stamina. The Kalupalik swam until the ice above thinned out. She hit the ice with her palm, shattering it easily. The Kalupalik surfaced in a small cave. Piles of animal bones, picked clean, lay about the space. The remnants of a small fire were in the corner. The Kalupalik did not want to waste any time. Drool fell from her mouth as she imagined her body filling with the renewed energy that this child would provide. 
the Kalupalik eagerly opened the satchel and dumped out a shivering Arnok. As soon as Arnok hit the ground, she tried to scramble away. The Kalupalik grabbed Arnok's feet and dragged her to the far end of the cave as Arnok cried out, Let me go! My father's a hunter and he will find us! The Kalupalik hesitated. A well-seasoned hunter was indeed a dangerous threat, and a father was even more to worry about. The Kalupalik knew that as long as Arnok lived, her father would likely keep searching for her. She needed to hurry. The Kalupalik abruptly lunged toward Arnok, grabbing her head in her hands. Arnok slumped over, suddenly limp. The Kalupalik's decomposing green cheeks cracked as it stretched its thin lips into a smile. The time had finally come. She gently laid Arnok on the floor of the cave and caressed her cheek. She thought hungrily, so young, so ripe. The Kalupalik began to hum softly as she crawled on top of Arnok and wrapped her arms around her. She slowly breathed in and out, in and out. As she did so, small bags began to form beneath Arnok's eyes. She looked older, tired. Her chubby, youthful cheeks sharpened into the angular bone structure of a young woman. The Kalupalik was changing as well. The creature's sallow skin became less scaly. The awful tinge of green gradually lightened to a flesh tone. Soon, she had changed from a monstrous creature to an old woman. The Kalupalik giggled as a surge of energy shot through her body. She released the girl and stood up for a moment to catch her breath. Arnok stirred. She, too, had changed. Gone was the face of a ten-year-old girl, for Arnok had aged ten years at least. She was now a young woman. The Kalupalik eagerly stepped forward once again, ready to take every last drop of life Arnok had to offer. And when Arnok no longer had life in her, the Kalupalik would find another child to sustain her, as she had done for centuries. The Kalupalik hissed, startled at the sound of men yelling. Their voices were distant, but never before had humans lurked so close to her lair. She quickly grabbed her amautik and ran to Arnok. Her long nails sunk into the girl's arms as she tried to pull her into the bag. But it was not just Arnok's face that had changed. Her body had grown as well. The Amautique was now too small for her. The hunters were close. The Kalupalik desperately tried to shove the Amautique over Arnok's head, but it was futile. Instead, she abandoned the sack and pulled the girl toward the water. But still, the girl was too heavy for the Kalupalik to carry. She could move her, but it would be slow work to pull Arnok behind her through the water below. The Kalupalik was in a tizzy. Her golden eyes were full of panic as she looked between Arnok and the sound of the hunters outside. They were very close. Suddenly, a harpoon sailed into the cave and glanced off a stone wall, just missing her. 
The Kalupalik was a ferocious creature. Children were her prey, but she was no match for grown men with weapons. She took one last look, full of longing, at the sleeping Arnok. A tear ran down her face at the thought of abandoning such a glorious catch. But her expression quickly hardened. She had fed off this child, and it was now a part of her. The Kalupalik would let her go for now, but they would meet again. As the men's footsteps approached the cave entrance, the Kalupalik's adrenaline spiked. She flung herself into the water, disappearing beneath its surface, just as Arnok's father ran into the cave. He gasped in shock as he laid eyes on his daughter for the first time. She had aged so much since he last saw her. He rushed to her side and knelt beside her to gently coax her awake, whispering, Arnok, my child, please wake up. You're all right, daughter. I found you. Arnok's father, so strong, trembled as he held his daughter in his arms. His heart raced as he willed her eyes to open. Soon his voice grew desperate as he said, Arnok, wake up! Listen to your father for once! The other hunters crowded the cave, watching with bated breath, until Arnok finally opened her eyes and looked up at her father. With effort, she managed to croak out, Father, you were right. Arnok went home with her father to their igloo, but the Kalupalik had changed her, not just in body, but in mind as well. No longer did she flout her father's rules or seek to disobey him. She became the perfect daughter and a model citizen, for she knew the dangers that could befall children who misbehave. Even though Arnok had matured, she was unable to shake the lurking fear that the Kalupalik had instilled in her. Years later, when she had children of her own, she grew worried that they too would fall into the beast's clutches if curiosity led them astray. Night after night, she told her children of the Kalupalik, but day after day, she found herself stopping them as they ran too far from the igloo. Warnings and stories would not be enough. She would have to go a step further. Early one morning, Arnok grabbed her spear and donned her furs. She left without a word to her family and trekked to an igloo at the far side of the basin. Arnok cautiously entered the igloo entrance to find a small man sitting at a fireside, mushing seal fat into a bowl. He did not look up as Arnok entered. She tentatively sat beside the fire and waited. This was the tribe's Angakuk, their shaman, and he would speak to her when he was ready. Finally, the Angakuk put his bowl down and stared into the fire. Then he said in a gravelly voice, You wish to know how to find the Kalupalik. Arnok nodded and replied, It haunts me. I wish to kill it. But at her words, the Angakuk stared at her sadly and shook his head. A long silence followed as the Angakuk closed his eyes. His eyelids twitched. Arnok startled as the Angakuk began to hum. It sounded familiar, and then it occurred to her 
It was the same hum as the Kalupalik. Her blood turned cold at the memory. She found herself slowly looking over her shoulder, as if this very hum was calling the beast to her. Finally, the Angakuk opened his eyes and spoke. It will never die, but facing it will help. Go to where you first saw the creature as a child. It waits for you. Arnok set out from the igloo and headed toward the same hill she had crested when she was a naive little girl. But this time, she wasn't seeking freedom. She was seeking blood. Arnok traveled for hours along the coastline. The icy air hit her face, stinging any surface of skin that was exposed. Her gloved hand tightened around her spear as she stabbed it into the snow to aid in her walk. Finally, she sat down in the snow in anguish. She was foolish to think she could find the creature. It only went after small children, and she was not the hunter that her father was. Frustrated, she began to weep. As she cried, she heard a soft rustle of snow. She looked around and shivered. Arnok shot to her feet at the sound of the humming. She raised the spear and frantically scanned the snowy landscape before her. Arnok whipped around to come face to face with the Kalupalik. Her skin had returned to its scaliness, and her hair hung limp and tangled around her shoulders. And as the creature's haunting, golden eyes stared at Arnok, her horrifying mouth stretched into its strange, hair-raising smile. Arnok threw her spear at the beast, but the Kalupalik took a quick step back and dropped out of sight. Arnok hurried over to where the monster had disappeared, only to see a hole in the ice. There was no sign of the Kalupalik, but for a small ripple in the water. Arnok waited. Her breath fogged the air, but the Kalupalik did not return. Arnok sat back on her heels, wondering why the monster had shown itself only to slip away without a fight. And then it dawned on her. The creature had been taunting her. The Kalupalik's message was clear. She would always be there, lurking under the ice, waiting for any youth that might be foolish enough to ignore the pleas of their parents. And as Arnok slowly stood and began the long trek back to her igloo, she wondered if one could ever be free of the monsters of the past. The ocean is a cornerstone of Inuit life and their stories. It feeds them, but also holds unknowable dangers. Aside from the Kalupalik, the sea serpent Tizerak and the sea woman Sedna further add to the ocean's mystique. To help put their minds at ease, the Inuit frequently rely on the community's shaman, or Angakuk, as their outreach to the sea. The Angakuk serves as the spiritual leader and protector of the community, and is said to possess extraordinary powers, like the ability to heal or see into the future. Most commonly, the Angakuk's duty is to ask Sedna to release enough seals and wildlife for the tribe to hunt. This is an imperative job, as starvation was and is a huge worry for the Inuit people. 
They are hunters, and meat is frequently a challenge to come by. The Inuit believe that the ocean is altogether a different world, and the Angakuk is the only one among them with spiritual access to it. Therefore, the Angakuk is who parents might go to if they fear their child is taken by the Kalupalik. For the Inuit, storytelling plays a huge part in the way that children are raised. In Inuit families, parents rarely, if ever, shout at their children. The common belief is that yelling teaches children to solve their problems with a raised voice or anger, rather than getting to the bottom of what their problem entails. Instead, for thousands of years, the Inuit have used their stories to discipline. Many of their tales warn of creatures that hunger for children specifically, and more so if they step out of line. One story warns that if a child takes food without asking, its hand could be grasped by long fingers. Another tells children to wear a hat when they go outside, or the northern lights will snatch their head and use it as a soccer ball. And if a child goes too close to the water or ventures out alone, a terrifying aquatic monstrous will shove them into her pouch. Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Mythical Monsters, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Mythical Monsters on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythical Monsters in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Nick Johnson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Kate Murdoch, with writing assistance by Greg Castro. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 